3: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: I can do no more for you. My people have elevated another lord to take my place. You... And all of your men are already dead.
4: He says he won't help and that we are all going to die.
5: You will do as the commander says or I will personally... Alvarado, that is enough. Emperor Montezuma here will do as we ask or he will find that my patience has come to an end. I am not afraid to die.
4: He claims that he isn't afraid of death.
5: The insolence. All men are afraid to die. The emperor here is not all men, is he?
1: Our priests long foretold your coming, the death, the pain and anguish that you would bring to my people.
5: He said that— I don't care what he said! Will he address them,
4: his people, or not? Will you speak to the crowd outside?
1: I will. But I go, knowing that no matter what happens, today is my last day on this land. You send me knowingly to my death and history will remember you as the monsters that you are.
4: History will remember the victor, the conquistadors.
1: But what have they truly conquered? A people terrified of strange weapons, listening to a leader who did not heed the omens? This will be the legacy of the mighty conquerors. Enough, heathen! Go and
6: pray that your words do not land on deaf ears.
5: Do you really believe that his words will change anything? No, but if they kill him for us, we will have one less thing to do before we make our escape. Tell the men to prepare for the worst.
7: Montezuma II likely knew that whatever happened next, this would be the last time he would speak before his people.
3: And he was right. But even after nearly 500 years of intense scrutiny, scholars and historians can't seem to agree on who was responsible for his death.
7: Or the events that eventually led to the downfall of the Aztec Empire.
3: This is Unsolved Murders, true crime stories on the Parcast Network. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
7: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our first episode on the murder of the Aztec Emperor Montezuma II.
3: You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network.
7: Some listeners have been asking how they can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast? The best way to do that is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. In the
3: 15th and 16th centuries, Europeans had just begun to explore westward, reaching the shores of the Americas.
7: What took them by surprise was not that these wild lands were inhabited, but that they were home to some of the most complex societies in the world.
3: The Mexica people, later dubbed the Aztecs by Europeans, had been thriving for hundreds of years in what is now central Mexico.
7: Growing from a group of nomadic tribes, the Aztecs built and expanded by defeating and enslaving their rivals to build the capital city of Tenochtitlan on Lake Texcoco.
3: Historians often compare the Aztecs to the Romans in terms of the complexity of their religious, political, and military infrastructure. And like the Romans, they had a penchant for conquest.
7: During the reign of Emperor Ahuitzotl. From 1486 to 1502, the Aztec Empire nearly doubled in size.
3: But it was Emperor Ahuizotl's nephew, a young upstart general named Montezuma II, who would become the most famous Aztec emperor.
7: This young general was brought up in an age of conquest never seen before in Central America.
3: Montezuma was born in 1466 to Axiocotl, the sixth Aztec emperor, and his wife, Xochicuyeto, at a time of great expansion for the Aztecs. It's hard to estimate how much land the Aztecs controlled, but a best guess suggests that the Aztecs held around 42,000 square miles of territory.
7: Montezuma received an education in everything from religion and science to the arts and warfare. In Aztec society, school was compulsory, particularly for sons of noble birth. In 1481,
3: Montezuma's father died at 32 years old and was replaced by his brother, Tizoc. After a short-lived reign, Tizoc died of unknown causes in 1486, and the youngest brother, Ahuizotl took the
7: throne. Knowing that his uncle was a great military leader, Montezuma went to him and swore his fealty at the age of about 20 years old.
1: You will receive no special treatment under me. I know, uncle. I wish to further our glory. To bring our enemies trembling to our feet and sacrifice them to the gods. Good. Let's see what you can do as captain. You leave tomorrow. I won't disappoint you, uncle. You will either win or die. You may decide which.
7: Ahuitzadl wasn't exactly loving. But he knew that in order for Montezuma to one day become a strong leader of any sort, he would need to be educated, both in the classroom and on the battlefield.
3: Montezuma soon rose through the ranks to become a general in Auitzadl's army and led the Aztec warriors in a push for expansion. In less than a decade, the Aztecs controlled an empire that encompassed nearly 11 million residents.
7: Eventually, this dramatic expansion was halted by the Tarascan people to the north, who stalled the overextended Aztec lines. As a semblance of peace settled over the Aztec empire, Montezuma took a position as a city official in Tolokan, a town to the west of the capital.
3: However, in 1502, Emperor Ahuitzotl died. Shortly after, a council of noblemen chose the 36-year-old Montezuma to replace his uncle as the new emperor. Since one of the first Aztec rulers had been named Montezuma, they simply added the second to the end of their new Emperor's name.
2: Your empire touches the oceans on all sides. Your citizens are beyond counting, and your decision is law set down by divine right. Are you ready to lead your people in the days to come? I am. Then for you, Emperor Montezuma II, I bestow the stone tablet to mark your coronation as a day to be remembered. Your people await."
3: That same stone tablet discovered in the Aztec ruins beneath Mexico City has been interpreted as marking Montezuma II's coronation on July 15th in 1503. That was the day he became the Tolatuani, or great speaker for the Aztecs.
7: While the Aztec Empire was at the peak of its infamy, the provinces seemed to be in a constant state of rebellion, just as they had under Ahuizotl. The first seven years of Montezuma's rule were defined by a series of brutal military campaigns to quell these rebellions.
3: For example, the years between 1505 and 1510 saw Montezuma fight the Miztec and Zapotec tribes, bringing them under Aztec control. In this case, most historians agree that the Aztecs were an oppressive force, and it wasn't unusual for one of the many native tribes to attempt rebellion.
7: However, to assure his authority, Montezuma ordered a large amount of tribute and captives brought back to the capital. Tribute often consisted of valuable minerals, gold chief among them, as well as rare pelts and building materials for the Aztec artisans to use on massive works of architecture. The captives, however, fared much worse.
3: The Aztecs believed that human sacrifice brought them closer to their gods, and consuming a vital organ, usually the heart, was the ultimate act of religious faith. Montezuma, as the head of all religious proceedings, was expected to act as the messenger of the gods.
7: Whatever Montezuma and his high priest professed to be the truth was law, and that law had a long reach. At the time of Montezuma's ascension, the Aztec Empire stretched across 80,000 miles of Mesoamerica. By the early 16th century, the empire was home to an estimated 15 million Native Americans living in 38 provinces in over 480 different communities.
3: Montezuma had everything an emperor could ever want. A sprawling palace, a botanical garden, an aquarium. He even had what might have been the most impressive zoo in the world at the time. From aviaries full of exotic birds to enclosures with rare predators, Montezuma even had a section for humans with unique and strange deformities.
7: Despite the opulent and sometimes bizarre luxuries, Montezuma still felt it was necessary to make his mark on history.
3: However, at the peak of their power, Montezuma and the Aztecs had nowhere left to go with their current resources. Nowhere to go but down.
7: So it's unsurprising that when a series of strange events occurred in quick succession, they were immediately seen as dark omens, foretelling a great and terrible disaster. Whether the stories are to be believed or not, the Aztecs took every omen seriously, particularly the strange incident that occurred in 1517.
5: Hold it still! Hold it, I said!
7: Can nothing go
1: right in this city? First the floods, then the war god's temple catches fire, and now I cannot even consult with my priests without being disturbed.
5: Oh, great speaker, I would not bring this before you if it were not important. This fisherman and his wife, they caught a bird. For my zoo. Good news, then.
1: Speak, woman, and have your husband bring that creature closer.
4: Great Speaker Montezuma II. As you shall see, this creature is no ordinary bird. We believe it to be a sign. An omen from the gods.
2: You there. Remove the net. It takes the shape of a crane, but its head, it's a dark mirror. Obsidian, my lord. There
1: now, creature. Calm. Come, come closer. Let me gaze into the darkness. What do you see? I see moving images. Stars, our stars, and... No, I see men. Men not of these lands. They ride great beasts, like deer without antlers and in their hands they hold weapons of strange power. Come, priest, come closer and look.
2: I see nothing. There isn't anything there.
1: Great speaker, the bird, it's dead. Quick, summon the court astrologers and my advisors. We must discuss this vision.
7: It's pretty hard to believe that anything like that actually happened, but there are recorded events that could have appeared apocalyptic.
3: For example, archaeological evidence shows that at one point in time, Lake Texcoco rose due to some seismic activity and flooded Tenochtitlan.
7: Another odd event occurred when the temple of Chiutechtli, the god of fire and volcanoes, was struck by a single bolt of lightning. The story goes that no thunder followed that strike, and it didn't occur during any sort of major storm. This was naturally taken as a bad omen.
3: Regardless of whether most of these signs were harbingers of doom, the Spanish conquistadors were much closer than the Aztecs realized and very much a real and lethal threat.
7: We'll hear more about the Spanish conquest
0: after this.
7: And now, back to the story. In the
3: early 16th century, the Aztecs experienced a series of dark omens. From 1517 to 1519, Montezuma II and his priests lived in terror. But with the Aztec empire maintaining an impressive hold over its millions of occupants and hundreds of provinces, there weren't many tangible enemies that the Aztecs feared or knew to fear
7: yet. In 1519, the fate of the Aztec Empire was changed forever when news from a small Spanish expedition reached Cuba, a Spanish colony at the time, and tales of gold and riches spread like wildfire.
3: Among those caught up in the craze was a soldier named Hernán Cortez.
2: Treasure, I tell you, there is treasure to be had in the jungles of the New World. The natives wear gold and jewels like we do cloth.
5: It sounds as if our friend here has had too much to drink. Señor Cortez. no disrespect, but I know what I saw. And I believe you. I only seek to avoid conflict between our men if I can help it. The more who seek wealth, the more difficult it will become for us. Do you understand? Then what should we do? You will do nothing. I will go speak with my brother-in-law, Governor Velazquez, and see about ships for our expedition. God willing, with his blessing or not, we will see ourselves on those golden shores before month's end. Now, share another drink with me, friend, and let us toast to our good fortunes.
7: In February of 1519, Cortes would be the leader of an expedition to Mexico that would become infamous for a multitude of reasons. Greatest among them was the downfall of the Aztec empire.
3: Born in 1485 to an upper-class Spanish family, Cortes was a sickly boy. Not a particularly talented or bright student, Cortes floundered for some sort of goal.
7: Finally, in the late 15th century, Cortes began absorbing stories of the new world. These stories would eventually inspire a young Cortes to join the military and seek his fortunes. In 1503, at the tender age of 18, he found himself on a voyage that would eventually lead to Cuba.
3: By 1511, a 26-year-old Cortes had distinguished himself by helping the Spanish conquer and settle the island of Cuba, earning land and even the governorship to the little town of Santiago. At some point, he married the sister of Cuba's governor, Diego Velasquez, becoming his brother-in-law.
7: However, his time in Cuba was also plagued by frustrations. Sources compiled in the New World Encyclopedia describe a time when Cortes was jailed by Governor Velasquez. However, the details of this event have been lost in time.
3: So Cortes wasn't exactly a model soldier.
7: But sometimes ambition is more important than the ability to follow orders.
3: When Cortes learned of the New World and its riches, he personally began to fund a large expedition. He gathered a horde of men, weapons, and boats. It seemed as though the conquest would get off to a smooth start.
7: Except on the day when Cortes was supposed to start his journey, Governor Velasquez personally went down to the docks to call off the voyage. Stop,
5: you men, I said stop. Keep loading, hurry, I'll take care of this. What seems to be the problem, Governor Velasquez? This voyage is unsanctioned. Senor, I have the orders right here, signed by you months ago. The men are loaded, and the ships are stocked. The tide is with us. We need to leave now.
6: If you leave these shores, there will be consequences. We will hunt you down. In the name of king and country, I swear you will pay, Cortez.
5: And once I have conquered the New World, you will wish you had gone with me. Roman! Row!
3: Cortez had not come so far only to be stopped by permission.
7: And so, legally speaking, Cortez began his travels as a mutineer.
3: It was reckless ambition and rampant greed that caused Cortez and his nearly 1,000 men and 11 ships to set sail for the New World, where they hoped to establish a new Spain and uncover untold riches.
7: On the relatively short 120-mile boat ride to Mexico, Cortes realized that he not only knew very little about the new world, but also had no idea about how to communicate once he arrived.
3: Fortunately for him, luck was on his side. In
7: February of 1519, Cortez made land in Yucatan, Mexico. Once there, he would benefit from an incredible stroke of good fortune in the form of two Spanish-speaking missionaries.
5: We have heard this village holds two foreign missionaries.
2: Yes, sir. My compatriot and I have been here for years. Shipwrecked some eight years past from Jamaica. Then you both speak this foreign tongue? Mayan? Yes, sir. But they speak something else up north.
5: I would have you help me navigate this strange land, as far as you are able.
1: Navigate? Rape and pillage, you mean? I'll have nothing to do with it. You must forgive him.
2: Guerrero has decided to become one of the natives with a wife and... How many children now?
1: Three? My life is my own, and when your true nature
5: is revealed, I will help protect these lands from your kind. I do not fault your friend for his convictions. But where do your alliances lie, I wonder?
2: Geronimo de Aguilar, at your service, my lord.
7: Perhaps when the missionary, Gonzalo Guerrero, refused to join Cortez's expedition, he knew that there would be more Spanish incursions, because of his choice, Guerrero would later use to his knowledge of Europeans to help some of the remaining Mayan people to fight back. But either way, in Geronimo de Aguilar, Cortes had gotten what he came for, a guide and a translator.
3: After his success in the Yucatan, Cortes sailed his troops north, where he would land in Potonchan a community of indigenous people with very little wealth to offer.
7: Only a few months into his expedition, it was becoming clear how Cortez planned to deal with any natives that he encountered. From the onset, he used deception and violence against almost every native he met to further his quest for gold and power.
3: One account of the interaction between Cortez and the natives of Potanchan describes a scene where, after tributes were offered to the Spanish, they were also asked to leave.
7: Unsurprisingly, Cortes refused and routed the natives, ordering his men to kill many of the warriors present.
3: This almost insignificant moment in Cortez's blood streak journey is important for two reasons. It was here that Cortez would meet a woman whom he would refer to as Doña Marina. Doña Marina could not only speak Mayan, but also the Aztec language of Nahuatl.
7: Through Geronimo de Aguilar and Doña Marina, Cortes was now able to speak directly with any Aztec people he encountered.
3: Secondly, with this first attack on Aztec peoples, Montezuma would soon be made aware of the Spanish.
1: Great Speaker Montezuma, I have news from Batanchan. There has been an attack. What kind of attack? An attack by foreign men riding great four-legged beasts. They have weapons of great power that killed all who stood before them. They are demons. It is the high priest's job to interpret such omens. What do you think of these men?
2: The signs have pointed to such an arrival for years. These men may be envoys from the great god Quetzalcoatl. Perhaps the god even walks among them, leading his forces against us.
1: Or perhaps they are only men.
7: Primary accounts of how the Aztecs perceived the Spanish come from European sources. Ironically, some of the most important sources are the letters written by Cortes to the king of Spain, Charles V.
3: These sources can't be considered entirely accurate due to the author's obvious subjectivity. Many contemporary historians believe that Montezuma acted as any well-educated leader might.
1: Send for my personal steward, Teudole. He will speak with my voice and greet these men with respect and tribute. Perhaps we will learn more about why they have come and what powers they possess. And if they are messengers of Quetzalcoatl? Then, I shall hope that my devotion to the gods will be enough to spare us from their wrath."
3: In Aztec religion, Quetzalcoatl was a legendary god-king who commanded lightning and had been prophesied to return during what was called a reed year, referring to one of the twenty different sections that made up the Aztec method of tracking time.
7: The Aztec calendar is both complex and mysterious. We feel that it's important to take a moment and explain the basics of how it works.
3: First, the Aztec calendar is not one, but two different cycles at once. The normal calendar year of 365 days, as well as the sacred almanac, which tracked days of ritual significance, but only spanned 260 days.
7: These two calendars were joined by a series of 20 different periods each similar to our own months, but in each period, there were only 13 days. This means that
3: certain auspicious events on the calendar only aligned every 52 years, or 18,980 days before repeating.
7: The odds of any particular year, period, and day aligning were slim, but 1519, the year of Cortez's arrival, just happened to be, you guessed it, a reed year. If you were Aztec, you took this aligning of the stars very seriously.
3: So, while the Aztecs readied themselves to greet the Spanish, Cortez had just landed in a natural harbor at the site of what would become the modern city of Veracruz. It was sometime during the summer, likely May or June, showing just how hard Cortez was willing to push his men.
7: Upon arrival, Cortes, through his translators, was able to better understand the native politics and determine that the Aztecs had amassed a collection of enemies. With that knowledge, Cortes convinced the native people of Sempuala, an indigenous settlement, to ally themselves with him.
3: It wasn't long before Montezuma's ambassador, Teudile, arrived with his emperor's gifts and words of peace.
2: Senor, a messenger approaches. He looks ridiculous,
5: covered in parrot feather cloak from head to toe. How can anyone take these natives seriously? Because we would be fools not to. Bring the man and his gifts forward. We will show him our power. Ready a fusillade in the cannons. Fire!
7: Presenting gifts of gold, pearls, and feathered clothing, Teudile and his retinue were both shocked and terrified when Cortez had his men demonstrate their weaponry. Having never witnessed guns before, some accounts claim that the Aztecs fainted and had to be revived.
3: When Teudile and his men returned to the capital, they regaled Montezuma about the strange men and the power of the weapons they had witnessed firsthand.
7: Well, it seems almost silly that Montezuma, a ruler of millions, would worry about a measly thousand Spaniards, but he was a cautious leader.
3: And we have to remember that it took a lot more time for news to travel long distances, so actions and reactions to important events were
7: much slower right. So when reports did reach their final destination, their implications made each decision even more important. In this case, tales of the Spanish only seemed to enforce the belief of Montezuma's priests that Cortes was a harbinger for the arrival of the angry god Quetzalcoatl.
3: If the meeting had spread seeds of doubt in the minds of the Aztecs, It only served to invigorate Cortez's need to reach the capital city of Tenochtitlan as soon as possible. However, there were those among his men who felt that their current course of action was irresponsible. So we are
2: agreed. We seize the ships and set sail for Cuba tomorrow. The man is a traitor to Spain and brings dishonor to us all with this foolish expedition.
5: A traitor? You would say such things about your commander? General, it's not what you think. No, it seems much worse. Guards, seize these men! I must make it clear, there is no going back now.
7: And to quell any further thoughts of mutiny, Cortez did what he thought was best, and cut off any chance of escape by sinking all but one of the ships. Cortes would later justify his actions by feigning worry that the ships might fall into natives' hands.
3: However, a small ship was kept in order to communicate with Spain.
7: At this period in time, it was customary that one-fifth of all treasures found while on expeditions belonged to the king of Spain. Think of it as sort of an expedition tax. It was important to keep the king happy if Cortes wanted to be seen as the hero he saw himself eventually becoming.
3: However, at this point, there wasn't much gold or valuables to send back. Most items of worth had either been claimed by the Aztecs as tribute or didn't exist in poorer tribal villages.
7: But Cortes knew that any success might cast him in a favorable light with the crown, so he sent what little wealth he had back to Spain. However... This left himself and his men stranded in Mexico.
3: Without ships, Cortes had fully committed his expedition to this quest for riches.
7: But it wasn't entirely reckless. Cortes knew from the brief interactions with the Aztec messengers that there were great treasures ahead.
3: Throwing himself into any situation, regardless of consequences, struck fear into his enemies and gave confidence to his allies.
7: And as the Spanish advanced inland towards Tenochtitlan, there were examples of both. Sources are unclear about an exact timeline. But no more than a month into their march, the Spanish encountered the Tlaxcala.
3: Consistently at war with the Aztecs. The Tlaxcala had little trust for outsiders, but their distrust was what made them valuable to Cortes. If he could make the case for an alliance, the help of the Tlaxcala would be more useful to him than perhaps even he realized at the time.
7: And by this point, Doña Marina had made herself invaluable to Cortes and even learned how to speak Spanish and communicate directly. This made her an important part of every negotiation.
5: Doña Marina, what did they say? If these war leaders will not agree to discuss peace, I fear our expedition will fail here and now. There are just too many of them.
4: The Elder One would speak with you. And his son? Would prefer to see your head detached from your neck. The Tlaxcala have been mistreated by the Tatuani, Montezuma, and his warriors. Hundreds of their men, women, and children have been taken as sacrifices to the Aztec gods. There is no love lost between them.
5: Then I will exploit that hate, and perhaps gain a few valuable allies in the meantime. And as for you... Yes? I would see you later to celebrate this new alliance, privately. As you wish.
7: While sources are not clear on whether or not Doña Marina was a willing participant, Cortes began an affair with her almost from the start, relying heavily on her advice and knowledge of Mexico as he marched his armies onward. However, sources
3: are very clear that the Tlaxcala people, old enemies of the Aztecs, were more than willing to join Cortes on his crusade.
7: Cortes was happy to have a new ally, but disappointed by what that new ally had to offer. In one of his letters to King Charles V, Cortes mentioned how poor the Tlaxcala people were and lamented that there was no gold to take.
3: It's likely that the Spanish believe the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan was El Dorado, or the City of Gold. And if Cortes was to find the riches he so desperately wanted, he would have to keep marching inland.
7: Eventually, Cortes found himself in the holy Aztec city of Cholula.
3: With him marched somewhere between 1-3,000 to 3,000 Tlaxcalteca warriors, all enemies of the Aztec Empire.
7: It was in Cholula that Cortes made a decision that historians have found difficult to explain.
3: He ordered the massacre of an entire city, and all on the eve of the meeting between himself and Montezuma.
7: We'll learn about the effects of that massacre after this. And now, back to the story.
3: In September or October of 1519, Cortes and his Spaniards had just begun the long march from Veracruz on the eastern coast of Mexico, inland to the capital city of the Aztecs, Tenochtitlan. Their new allies, the Chalashcala people, suggested they stop at the home of their rivals, the Cholulans.
7: Relying on their faith to protect them from their enemies, the Cholulans were sparsely defended. Considered a holy site within the Aztec Empire, Cholula was vastly unprepared for Cortes and his allies.
3: Unfortunately, faith did nothing to stop what Cortes had in mind for them.
5: Let this serve as an example to all others. This land is ours now.
6: Senor, we've gathered the nobles. I suggest we kill them as an
5: example. Watching their lands burn and people slaughtered is enough.
6: We cannot show weakness. Mercy is a weakness to these heathens.
5: Guard your tongue,
6: Alvarado. Senor, these people kidnap, murder, and eat their
5: countrymen. Our god, the one true god, demands we act. If it satiates your bloodlust, kill them. But remember this, brutality may gain you the fear of your enemies, but you will fall victim to it in the end. As you say, senor.
6: Kill them all!
7: Sources claim that between 3,000 and 30,000 men, women, and children died in that bloodbath. The massacre of the Cholulans was a brutal attempt to strike fear into the enemy's heart. And as Cortes had hoped, these harsh measures limited the amount of fighting the Spanish would do later as their reputations preceded them.
3: This is one of the many points at which historians diverge in opinion. It isn't disputed that Montezuma heard about the massacre at Cholula. However, it does make one wonder how each leader imagined their meeting might unfold.
7: On one hand, many scholars used the Aztec belief system as a reason that the entire empire crumbled. If the Aztecs were truly under the impression that Cortes and his men were messengers of the ancient lightning god Quetzalcoatl, then it's possible that Montezuma felt like he had no choice but to meet with him.
3: But more and more contemporary historians have begun to refute that theory. Much of Cortes' story has been gleaned from his letters to King Charles V of Spain, and nowhere in any of them does he mention any such belief.
7: When the Spanish arrived in the capital city, on November 8th of 1519, they were in awe of what they found. At the time, Tenochtitlan was likely the largest city in the world, estimated to boast more than 300,000 citizens.
3: There are several versions of the meeting between Cortes and Montezuma. One details how the two men and their entourages met at the Great Causeway, an impressive raised walkway near the entrance to the city. Doña Marina reportedly translated the entire conversation. Who speaks for these men?
4: I speak for their leader, Hernán Cortés Pizarro. He does not speak our language, but I can relate your words to him.
1: Tell him he has been expected, and that he is welcome in my city. We have many gifts to share with our honored guest. What
5: is he saying?
4: He welcomes you to the city as a guest of honor. These flowers, robes, and trinkets of gold you see before you are gifts.
5: Is this truly the Emperor of such a great nation? He seems little more than a bright, multicolored bird with his feathered clothes.
4: He says you must truly be the Emperor to be dressed in such finery.
1: I accept his kind words and would like to personally lead
5: him to his lodgings.
4: He says they will allow you to stay.
5: How do I know he won't kill me in my sleep?
4: Because their laws and customs will not permit it.
5: If you say so, my love. Tell him I would embrace him as an equal, and accept his offer. For now. What is he saying?
4: He thanks you for your kindness, and
7: accepts.
1: Excellent. Please, follow me.
7: As much as we would like to imagine this scene as the meeting of two great leaders, it is unlikely that this moment ever occurred.
3: Aztec customs surrounding their great speaker were strict. There were rules about whether or not an individual could even look at their emperor, let alone speak to him. Many times dinners would be held during which the emperor would be seated behind a thin cloth veil that would obscure him from his guests staring directly at him.
7: And with the massacre of the Cholulans fresh on the Aztecs' mind, it's unlikely that they saw the Spanish as anything but dangerous foreigners to be handled with extreme caution.
3: But what we do know is that Cortes and his retinue the talash Calteca warriors included, were given lodgings in the lavish palaces of Montezuma's dead uncle, Awitzatl.
7: The citizens of Tenochtitlan were in shock They couldn't believe that the Spanish and their rivals from Tlaxcala would be invited into their city with open arms.
3: The entire city was a powder keg. Old enemies sharing the same space rarely leads to anything good.
7: And of course, we know that the sole purpose of the Spanish faction was to find golden riches at whatever cost.
3: One account from an unnamed citizen of Tenochtitlan gives a clear impression of how the Aztecs felt about welcoming the Spanish and their allies. It's
2: as if everyone has eaten stupefying mushrooms. I don't understand. How could Great Speaker Montezuma
4: do this? Their expressions when these foreigners and their allies were allowed into our city. It was like they had all seen something astonishing. I spoke to the neighbors.
2: They're terrified. I even overheard one of the priests saying it felt as though he were being disemboweled, and the world turned inside out.
4: Our daughter is terrified. I had to promise not to leave her side until she fell into a restless slumber last night. I
7: didn't sleep at all.
3: I do not think we will sleep well for a long, long time.
7: Those don't sound like the words of a joyful, welcoming people.
3: And it was only a few days later that Cortez set his true diplomatic agenda in motion, the search for Aztec treasure. But for the meantime, he had to pretend to be a curious guest.
5: What barbarism is this? How can they do this to their fellow
4: man? This is a religious ceremony. They do this to gain favor with their gods.
1: Is he enjoying himself?
4: Yes, Great Speaker Montezuma. He was merely curious about the custom.
1: Good. Perhaps he would like to partake in the hearts of the
5: sacrificed.
4: I do not believe he would impose, Great Speaker. What does he say? He offers you a taste of the offering, should you want it.
5: Mios Dios, these heathens have no morality. They are hardly human. My lord, the men have discovered something.
6: It appears to be a room full of gold,
7: senor.
5: At last, let me make my excuses and get away from this awful sight.
7: While Montezuma was playing host, the Spanish were exploring the city under the pretense of curiosity. However, as was their true intent all along, they were set on finding Aztec treasure and gold.
3: A few short days after their arrival, Spanish soldiers stumbled upon a cachet of gold and jewels. They immediately informed Cortez.
7: The combination of witnessing Aztec religious practices and finding stores of wealth were all Cortez needed to justify what he did next.
5: Tell His Highness that we appreciate his hospitality and that we will appreciate his full cooperation.
4: I do not understand. His cooperation with what?
5: whatever I want. As of today, the great speaker is not to leave his palace. He will now serve at the pleasure of Spain and through me, the pleasure of the one true God. Men, seize him.
3: On November 16th, 1519, after only a few days in Tenochtitlan, Cortes realized that the only way to ensure his safety and the safety of his men was to control Emperor Montezuma. So putting him under house arrest seemed like the most peaceful choice and offered some amount of control over the citizens of Tenochtitlan.
7: It worked for a time. Months of relative peace passed without many incidents, while Cortes forced the Aztecs to bring him their valuables in exchange for Montezuma's life.
3: When one minor wave of resistance broke out... Several sources claim that Cortes held a formal ceremony to officiate Montezuma's submission to Spain and King Charles V. Unsurprisingly, this went over poorly with the Aztec people.
7: This ceremony likely caused Montezuma to lose major credibility with his subjects, but Cortes wasn't done yet.
3: Adding insult to injury, Cortes decided that the Aztec monuments were insults to Catholicism and demanded that Christian figures, such as Saint Christopher and the Virgin Mary, be erected upon several temples.
7: After the sacrificial blood had been scrubbed away, of course, surprisingly, Montezuma compromised and allowed the additions to the temple alongside their own pantheon of gods. Other than protecting his own mortality and the lives of his citizens, we can't be sure of exactly why Montezuma was so cooperative.
3: However, this is where, if Montezuma truly believed the Spanish to be messengers of the gods, then he must have realized
7: his mistake. Because what god would suggest symbols of another religion be erected next to their own? Cortes seemed pacified by Montezuma's choice.
3: The Aztec people, however, were less than thrilled. In April of 1520, nearly half a year after Cortes had arrived, the situation
7: became even more tenuous. Governor Velázquez of Cuba had been stewing over Cortez's mutiny just over a year prior. And with a new batch of reinforcements from Spain, he sent an army of about 900 men under the command of Panfilo de Narvaez to arrest Cortez.
3: Cortez acted quickly and rushed to the coast leaving only a few hundred Spanish soldiers and natives under the command of Pedro de Alvarado behind to keep the peace.
7: Unfortunately, Alvarado was not a man interested in peace, and in the absence of a more level-headed Cortes, would begin to tear the city of Tenochtitlan apart, looking for more gold.
6: Ask him, ask him where the rest of the treasure is. Do it.
4: He wants to know if there is any more gold, Great Speaker. I cannot give him what I do not have. He said no.
6: Perhaps I shall throw him from the top of his temple. Watch as he tumbles down into a bloody mess on the stones below. Is
1: that what he wants? My people will no longer listen to me, but I still have friends. Please ask if I might attend the Spring Festival of Huitzilopochtli tonight.
4: He wants to know if he can go to the Spring Festival?
6: Why would I allow it? So that he might escape and sow the seeds of discord among the nobles? The nobles?
1: Ask him if they will all be there.
4: Will the nobility be at the festival tonight, Great Speaker?
1: A faithful subject would not miss it. Will I be allowed to attend or not?
4: Yes, the nobles will be in attendance.
6: Then we will be there with them. Perhaps these so-called nobles will have treasure they have not yet shared with us.
3: It's unclear why Alvarado decided to do what he did next. Whether out of greed or simply a preemptive fear of revolt, Alvarado attended the Aztec Spring Festival with the remaining contingent of Spanish.
7: As expected, things became violent and Alvarado ordered the deaths of almost all of the nobility in attendance. This grotesque choice was the final straw. The Aztec people finally snapped
3: With Cortes locked in battle on the coastline, the Aztecs laid siege to the Spanish-held palace. It isn't clear whether Cortes took all of the Tlaxcala warriors with him, but it is likely that he had the bulk of their combined forces to face Narvaez. And with only a few hundred soldiers under his command, Alvarado was hard-pressed to survive.
7: Meanwhile, after Cortes defeated Narvaez and his soldiers, he convinced many of the survivors to join his expedition with promises of gold and treasure. Now, bolstered by hundreds of fresh Spanish troops, Cortes marched back to Tenochtitlan, unaware of the situation that awaited him.
3: Upon their arrival in the capital city on June 25th, Cortes and his forces were immediately besieged by the Aztec warriors, Fighting their way to the middle of the city, Cortes met up with Alvarado and the remains of the Spanish contingent. The situation was desperate.
7: By June 30th, the Spanish got word that the Aztecs had elected a new great speaker and were preparing for an all-out assault. Starving and without options, Cortez had one final card to play, Montezuma.
3: With Spanish rifles at his back. Montezuma was made to stand in front of a horde of his people and convince them to allow the Spanish to leave the city of Tenochtitlan unharmed.
7: We have to remember that Montezuma had lost everything at this point. His kingdom, his power, his credibility with his subjects. There was nothing left for him to give.
3: But perhaps this was his last-ditch effort to avoid further bloodshed to allow the Spanish to leave and accept his own fate with some form of respect in his people's eyes.
7: According to the Spanish, it went about as well as one might expect.
3: My people, please hear me out.
2: Your people, your cousin ascended to the role of great speaker days past. We are no more your people than these foreigners.
1: Your rage and frustrations are understandable, but it is time to show mercy and allow this feud to end. Please, part way and allow these men to leave this great city.
4: Mercy? Like the mercy they showed the women and children at the Spring Festival? We will show them the only mercy they deserve. Death!
1: Do our gods not demand blood and sacrifice to show us their favor? Did we not read the omens? We knew a time of hardship would come. And now that it is here, we do not know how to react. I understand more than most. But violence is not the answer. You allowed enemies into our city with open arms! You no longer speak for us, Montezuma! Go back to your foreign masters and die with them! You would try to kill me? I only ever had your best interests in mind, and this is how you repay that kindness?
2: The only kindness you deserve is
6: this! Get back! All of you, quick, pull them away, hurry!
7: After his ill-fated speech, Montezuma was ushered away from his people after they had hurled spears and other objects at him. Several days later, news spread that the once great speaker of the mighty Aztec nation had died from his wounds.
3: According to the Spanish, that is. But conflicting stories, both from the Spanish and Aztec people, argue that this version of events couldn't be further from the truth.
7: Cortes knew that sending Montezuma to face his people would be a risk and one that would likely end in the one-time emperor's death.
3: But even if a few slings and an arrow had hit the deposed leader, he might have been cared for by the Spanish, or more likely, disposed of.
7: But as it was, there was no going back.
3: The Spanish were surrounded, starving, and dying of thirst.
7: Thousands of Aztec warriors surrounded them on all sides, locking them in a palace that would become their tomb if they did not escape.
3: And with Montezuma dead or dying... Cortez was out of ideas.
7: And the Spanish had yet to experience their greatest defeat in the New World, a massacre that would be remembered as the Night of Sorrows.
3: Next week, we will look at the immediate effects of Montezuma's death on the Aztec people and uncover a question that has been asked for over 500 years. Who really killed the infamous Aztec emperor? You can find Unsolved Murders and all of Parcast podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, and your favorite podcast directory.
7: A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
3: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network.
7: And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time.
1: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, Paul Mahler, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Edward Hamill. The amazing cast of voice actors include Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, Greg Paulson, Dan Velasquez, Tiana Camacho, Eddie Lee, Joe Hernandez, and Kai Jordan. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.